0: Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Unnecessary Roughness.
1: Looking over the middle, Hockey collapses, he takes off, to the goal line, touchdown Stidham. Six the hard
0: way! Unnecessary Roughness, on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And
1: here we are kicking off hour number two of the show here, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. We kick it off with a really good guest from Pro Football Focus. That's our good friend Sam Monson. And Sam, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you and want to talk about that Raiders offensive line. We saw the game on Saturday against Miami and the, the right side in particular didn't look too hot. When you see Alex Leatherwood, when you look at the numbers that you guys have there, Pro Football Focus, what are you seeing from the former first round pick?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not looking good so far. Um, Leatherwood gave up five pressures in that game, didn't have a good PFF grade, um, but honestly, Leatherwood isn't the only problem. Right. I think that's the bigger issue for, for that Raiders offensive line is that the majority of that group looks like it, it could be problematic. They've got one high-end player and Colton Miller left tackle. Uh, outside of that, you've got four spots that could easily be concerns heading into the season, and given the division that they're in, given the conference that they're in, given um, the additions that they've made, you know, Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones and trying to keep pace with everybody in the AFC, they can't afford to have an offensive line just torpedo the
1: season. Right. That's exactly what we've been talking about to start off the show. And, you know, I was looking at that game and I saw the whole right side. And Lester Cotton has been a really good story so far this, uh, this training camp. But he looked like he struggled in a pretty major way as well. What did you see from Lester Cotton?
2: Yeah, and Lester Cotton gave up a couple of pressures. Um, you know, Andre James gave up some pressures as well. And at center, that's really not where you want. To. Generally speaking, centers are they're kind of helping out in pass protection more than they're uh, isolated themselves and giving up pressure themselves. So to give up pressure from the interior as a center, I think is a, an issue. Yeah, it, really, there's that offensive line is kind of low on guys where you would you'd be confident in them going through a full season. Obviously, Miller, I think. You know we really liked uh, Dylan Parham coming out of the draft. Mm. he was pretty reasonable, pretty good actually against miami, so he 's somebody that maybe can step into one of those roles, win a job, and, and potentially upgrade a spot. but I, I think really they should be looking to the free agent market there's a lot of guys still out there right now that could step in and do a job for for a team and you know we 've seen throughout the nfl there's some there's some teams signing some of these guys now that we get late in the process and everybody's sort of roster is shaking out to what they expect or they get injuries. There are some of these veterans that have started to get signed, and you know, there, there aren't too many of them out there. So if you're the Raiders and you have the spending room, I wouldn't wait around.
1: Right. I, I, I agree. You know, it's funny, and I get your opinion on this. Uh, I think that if they go and get a guy from outside the building, they probably have to trade for someone that's good enough to really hold down that spot, because I just feel like a guy that gets cut is, is simply a guy that gets cut and might not really be able to hold down that spot. But we saw the reports earlier today about uh, Isaiah Wynn possibly being out on the open market. What would you think about the Raiders uh, kicking the tires and maybe uh, bringing him in?
2: Yeah, I think Wynn wouldn't be a bad player. Um, he maybe hasn't become the guy that he was supposed to be in New England, which is you know why he's on the trade block in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would be an upgrade. Now, obviously, his primary position has been the same position as Colton Miller, but maybe you can flip him to the right side, see how that works. You can also definitely kick him inside the guard and get a, a spot out of him then. But I also think there's some free agents out there just on the street, some aged veterans that can come in and be – Capable starters, guys like J.C. Treader is available. J.C. Treader's been one of the best centers in the league for a while. Even if he's on the decline, he's still almost certainly a massive upgrade. Uh, Daryl Williams, a right tackle that's been pretty good in his career, right tackle, less good at right guard, but would be, I think, a capable starter. Um, you know, Abushi was with the Chargers. It was again a capable guard. So there, I think there's some. Players that might not be exciting, you know, right. there's there's a reason that they're on the street, um, and it's not because they're all pros, but they can come in and they can be absolutely capable. Starting players and at least let you forget about one of the positions along the offensive line while you complicate everything else or while you solve
1: everything else talking right now with Sam Monson from pro Football Focus here on Radio nation radio 920 unnecessary roughness you mentioned Daryl Williams uh, he last played in Buffalo and we had a caller right before you came on call and ask and mention Daryl Williams why do you think he's still out there and available
2: Williams had a weird career where um, you know very early on the Panthers were incredibly high on him um, without, it seemed, any reason to be. Like, his, his early grades in his career hadn't been good. Um, he hadn't been playing particularly well, uh, at least from from the outside. But the Panthers were so high on him, they were saying, he's going to come good, he's going to end up playing really well for us. And it happened. In 2017, he ended up with a really good season, um, particularly as a pass blocker was playing really well. And then for some reason, they started messing around with his snaps and moved him by, or moved him. Position-wise, again, he went from right tackle to left guard and back again to right tackle. But when he's played right tackle for a full season, he's looked really good. Um, And certainly in terms of pass blocking. I think he's another guy where, you know, he has a level, and, and it's not all pro. And I think a lot of times people focus too much on what a guy can't do. And in particular, you know, when you have him playing guard, I just don't think he's anywhere near as good as he is when he's playing right tackle. But... The two seasons where he's been left to play right tackle for a thousand snaps, he's played at a pretty good level.
3: Alright Sam, I saw Andrew Whitworth tweet at you how much do you think it would cost for him to come back out of retirement? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding about that but we did have a text of Robin Oakland, he said can you ask Sam to go over PFF's concept of the O-line being a weak link system? Some people think that the O-line will improve once Cody Miller will start playing this season.
2: Yeah so the basic idea is you, you don't need, you know, a bunch of all pros along the offensive line. What you need is you can have a weak link anywhere along the line, or if you do, you can only have one, anything more than one, and it becomes a massive problem. You can kind of hide one weak link along the offensive line with help, with, you know, running backs and tight ends, chipping, with the play calls, with a bunch of things. But when you have more than one, it becomes a real issue. So when we talk about the offensive line being a weak link system, the critical piece of information is how bad is your worst player or probably more accurately for the offensive line, you know, how bad are your worst two members of the starting group? I don't care, you know, whether you have two, two all pros, that's not the relevant piece of information. You can have two all pro offensive linemen and still have a pretty bad offensive line. If the other three guys are terrible. So the the key piece of information, I think for how good a line is and how good it is, you know, relative to your offense is how good are those, two weakest links because that's going to determine how good the group is overall.
3: So would you say that there is a preferred position on the offensive line where a team would be better or fair better with the weak link being, let's say a right guard as opposed to right tackle, or does it just not matter? You just need everyone to be solid at least.
2: Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, you don't want a weak link at all. If you're telling me I have to have a weak link, I think I would want that weak link to be right guard, maybe right tackle. Um, But I think the right guard is probably the easiest position of the line to sort of hide and and protect schematically and with all the ways that you would help an offensive lineman. So if you have to have a weak link – I would pick one of the guard spots.
1: Talking right now with Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. One guy that I've been intrigued by has been Jermaine Illuminor. Uh, He's admittedly said that he's blown it when he was in Baltimore, blew it when he was in New England. Really kind of messed up last year with the Raiders, but seems like he's kind of refreshed, kind of focused, ready to go. Uh, What are you seeing so far from Jermaine Illuminor? Is there a possibility that he slides in and holds down that spot?
2: Yeah, it's funny, Uh, is a guy that's actually got reasonable grading um, a lot of the time uh, in his NFL career for us. Like you said, he's sort of ridden it off the rails a couple of times, but he's come in and he's had stints, particularly in New England, where he looked like he could be uh, a capable player for them, particularly at at right tackle. I think he looked pretty solid. So yeah, he's got a, a track record of kind of not lasting and the consistency hasn't been there, but certainly... You know, if you're in this period right now of desperation and and trying things and trying to find a combination on that line that's better than the one that's currently out there, I think you should absolutely be looked at as a, a potential alternative to what they're playing right
1: now. You know, and I wanted to ask you about Thayer Munford. He was a seventh round pick out of Ohio State, and I didn't expect a whole lot from him being a seventh round pick. You, I mean, you just really don't ever think of a whole lot uh, in, until they prove themselves. But he was starting to get some burn, got a little bit injured, hasn't really played very much. I mean, just got a little bit of action. Uh, is there anything, any any kind of intel you have on Thayer Munford at all?
2: Yeah, only that um, he was a player that that we quite liked coming out, and a guy that yeah, like you said, has the potential to come in and and do something uh, on a line that has opportunity. So you're right, he, he hasn't played a ton. We've got, uh, what, 60 snaps of him so far in preseason between the Hall of Fame game and that uh, first preseason game. Um, and he's, he was solid. Like, his pass protection was reasonable. He gave up a couple of pressures in each game. But when you consider that sort of 40 pass-blocking snaps, that's a reasonable figure. The run-blocking wasn't as good. But right now, I think the biggest thing for the Raiders is to try and get five capable pass blockers.
1: Yeah, no they really do. They they have to. They have too many weapons right to to allow that offensive line to be the reason why they don't get something done. I saw the tweet that you sent out saying if I'm the Raiders, I'm on the phone right now trying to make something happen. Uh do you think gut feeling? Do you think that they they go out and make a trade or do you think like you said earlier, they just go out and sign a free agent?
2: I think they should look to that free agent market. You know, there are some players out there that maybe not incredibly exciting, but they're they're good. You know, right. there's they, there are really strong players out there that could come in and definitely be starters on this line. And some of the best, okay, don't necessarily fit. Like, you know, Jason Peters is still playing good football at the age of 40, but you probably don't want Jason Peters playing anywhere other than left tackle. So I don't think he's really an option for the Raiders. But some of those guys I mentioned before, whether it's J.C. Treader, uh, Abouche at right guard, um, you know, Darrell Williams, I think there are players that they should absolutely be calling and finding out, you know, what is – What's it going to take to sign you? And if they decide it's too expensive or there's other problems at play, you know, injuries or or whatever it is, then fine. But at the very minimum, they should be doing due diligence on those guys and seeing if it's a, a potential fit because they have the cap flexibility. They've got the spending room.
1: Right, exactly. If you got the spending room, you got the the draft capital to go ahead and make a few moves, go ahead and do it. Like you said, they do have the the space under the cap. Uh, One more guy that I wanted to ask you about, and the only reason I ask about him is because Champ Kelly is the assistant GM, so he's got ties to the Chicago Bears, and that's Tevin Jenkins. There's been conversations that he could possibly be out there and be available. He was, uh, what, second round pick a year ago. Uh, Don't know if they're ready to kind of throw the talent on him already, but uh, what are your thoughts on Tevin Jenkins just overall?
2: Yeah, that that's one where it, it kind of depends what they're willing to let him go for. You know, anytime uh, they're talking about trading away a guy that was a high draft pick the year before, you know, you know something isn't going well with that relationship. Um, and if it's a case of they're willing to let him go for pennies on the dollar and you can sweep in with a, you know, a, a, what my, my dad used to call an insulting offer when he was talking <laughs> about bidding on a house, you know because uh, you never know, right? So if you roll in there with an insulting trade offer for Tevin Jenkins and the Bears take it, that's absolutely the kind of move that the Raiders should be interested in. Kick the tires, maybe it doesn't work out, maybe there's a reason the Bears are trying to get rid of him after only a year, but he's a talented player who was you know, high draft pick a year ago for a reason. So I think those are absolutely the kind of gambles that you should be taking.
3: All right, Tim. I just want to ask you one more question. There's a tweet about y'all don't say y'all in Ireland. Can you explain that? Does that word not exist in Ireland?
2: I, I don't think so. Um, certainly not, you know, in the areas that I grew up in. It's not, it's not a term that we throw around a bit. I, we got an email in for our uh, podcast, and it was just chock full of y'all. So I had to read it out, and it just sounds wrong when I'm saying it. So <laughs> it's not a, that, uh, not a word that Irish people use a ton of, and I, I felt bad. I felt bad trying to use it.
1: That's hilarious. I love it. Hey, I mean, whatever works, right? Whatever works. Uh, I'm not mad at that. Sam, great stuff as always, my man. You guys got anything coming out? You mentioned the podcast. You got anything coming out that we should be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff at PFF coming. We're, we're completely overhauling the subscription stuff. The prices are being slashed, so you can find uh, on my Twitter account recently PFF underscore Sam details you can get a free week which is the first time we're given a uh, given access to all the stuff for free nice. the prices are getting cut we got some other good things down the line as well coming so it's a good year to jump on
1: board well y'all do a great job over there <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much Sam appreciate you Thanks, guys. Take it easy. All right, you too. There you go, Sam Monson, pro football focus, as he mentioned, on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. And uh, they do a heck of a job. And uh, right there, you heard him say, you know, it's, it's not really about the strength of your offensive line. It's about the weakest links. And that's that's what it is with anything. You know, you're only as good as your weakest links. So uh, that right side in particular, like Raider Mack mentioned and, and many others mentioned, that right side just was not very good. And you heard Sam right there say that there wasn't really much to, to like about the offensive line, period.
3: Yeah, so nobody's glowing on that offensive line. But I do like what he says. Let's say grade-wise, if you can have one A, a B, and three Cs, that sounds like this would get this offensive line. You know, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a
1: mathematician. We got Enrique. He's a smart dude. He's going to come in here and break it down and say, all right, Q, if you got an A, a B, and a couple Cs, this is what you got. I don't know. I don't know the answer
3: to that. With the way these weapons are shaped on the, on this offense, though, I think that that can definitely get this Raiders to that 10-11 win mark that they need to be to make the playoffs. 702-365-9200, Ash
1: text line 69187, keyword R&R. What do you think the Raiders need to do with that right side of the offensive line? Should they go out and sign someone? Like Raider Max said, Daryl Williams. You see Sam Monson was pretty high on Daryl Williams. Was that the move? Uh, Isaiah Wynn, is that the move? Is there somebody else out there? Is that the move? Let us know about it. It's Raider Nation Radio, 920.
0: It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio.
1: Coming up at 3.30, Mike DeBate, host of Locked On Pats. He'll join us to talk all things Patriots as they're in town right now and joint practices will get underway tomorrow and Wednesday. Preseason game number four for the Raiders will be on Friday and then the preseason's over. Done. Finished. It's a wrap. Done deal, done data. And then we'll be right there on the eve pretty much of the regular season. So excited about that. We'll talk to Mike coming up at 3.30. But right now, Raider Nation, we want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. Also our Salmonash text line blowing up at 69187, keyword R&R. Let's start off with Ringside Raider. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother?
0: Hey, uh, Q, good, uh, good morning. Uh, or good afternoon, I should say. This morning, the NFL Network, we showed the Miami game, and I was able to sit down and watch it. And that offensive line, it, it, it definitely needs to uh, – have some serious work on it. Now, I don't know what the Raiders cap situation is, but I think not only do you need to work on getting a new right tackle, we also need to work on getting a new right guard. That whole right side was terrible. And we're we're lucky that Miami didn't have all their starters in for longer periods because it could have turned out to be a disaster and we could have lost that game on Saturday. Thank God it was a preseason. If this (laughs) was a regular season game, we'd be complaining all week about how bad the offensive line was and how much pressure Derek Carr and company were under and why they couldn't get their job done. The offensive line is going to be the the part that holds this team back if it's not fixed ASAP.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. Great call. And I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) Right? I mean, the right side. I've been mentioning that the whole show. The right side. It wasn't just the right tackle position. The tackles stood out the most. Because you saw guys just kind of breeze right by Leatherwood. I mean, I don't know how many times sitting there at the house watching the game, I pointed out, there goes another one. There goes another. It's like a turnstile, right? It was just bad. It really was. And again, I don't even think it's uh, the physical part of it anymore. I think it's all mental. I, I really do. And you could tell by the body language. And it's almost, and I say this, to my, my coach used to say this to me all the time, or say it to uh, the team all the time, is it's almost one of those situations where he gets beat. You could almost see him saying, like, my bad. Nobody wants to hear my bad, Mm. right? You know, like he went over one time and and helped up Jarrett Stidham or Nick Mullins, whoever it was. It's like, if I'm the quarterback, I'm thinking, man, get your ass away from me. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't need you to help me up. I need you to help me out. And then when you go back and watch the
3: plays, oh, are they putting up some incredible pass rush moves on them? No, it's not even that.
1: Yeah, that's why I think it's mental. That's why I really do. And I, I hope that he can get out of his own head. And sometimes I guess you get stuck in that zone where you just really can't. But that's what it feels like. At least that's what it looks like when I'm watching Alex Leatherwood. It just looks like he's in his own head right now, and that is a bigger problem than trying to go up against an opponent. So thank you so much for that uh, call. I do appreciate you. How about Sean? we go back out to the Radio Nation listener line. Sean, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thank you, Q. Love the work you guys are doing. Hey, this could be a special season. We can't have some tomato can Bobby Massey or Darrell Williams filling in. We need to go out and make a trade and get a legit right tackle from somebody because that season means that much. Hey, Leatherwood can play inside. I saw enough from Cotton that I'm not willing to take that risk. At least we know that Leatherwood can play some guard. But let's go out and find a real right tackle, not some tomato can because this season means too much. Thanks, guys.
1: Great call. Great call. I I hear you. And and that's kind of what I was talking about. That's why we started off the show coming in hot, you know, talking about the offensive line. Um, You would hate to be that the reason, you know, you'd hate to go back and look at the end of the season and say, man, that could have been, but that should have been, but like, you don't want to have a, but you want to just be able to say, Hey, that was a fantastic season or man, that season sucked. You know what I mean? Like one (laughs) or the other, you don't want to say it would have been good, but. That's, that's the biggest thing you do We had those want.
3: tomato cans out there. Right. Man, I love that as an insult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and an insult it is. Let's make no mistake about it. It's definitely an insult. Uh, his his insult, not mine. But uh, still, uh, I I completely understand where he's coming from. One more call. Uh, let's go out to uh, ABA Ivan Davis. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother?
2: Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sorry for the loud bar train. Oh, okay. uh, but the, uh, I wonder if you, next time you can speak to Chandler Jones and, and those guys. Ask a question. Uh, remember the conversation that they had with, with Cliff Branch when uh, Mike Haynes and he said that Cliff helped him out okay he just, he told him his route yeah okay Do they need to do the same thing with Leatherwood? I mean I'm not saying don't do your job and, and be in practice but tell him why without mm-hmm. the why he's never going to be good and otherwise what good are you doing if, if, if to, they need him to be good just to help him
1: out right no, that's that's a good point. Thank you for the call, ABA. Ivan Davis, be safe out there on that bar train. And yeah, I remember that. Uh, and I remember Mike Haynes saying about, you know, hey, this this guy would tell me this, or I would tell this guy that. I mean, again, it's going back to film study and being a, you know, a, 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 like just a junkie in the film room. Uh, somebody needs to do that with Leatherwood. But like I said, I, I think at this point, Again, it's just really mental. It's just he just has to get his confidence back. And you know, Lester Cotton, I think he's doing well. He's been a really good story this this uh, this training camp and everything. But uh, even he looked like he struggled on uh, on Saturday. So uh, all these guys need to realize. And this week will tell us a lot. You know, we're talking about this today on Monday, and like Raider Max said earlier, uh, you know, don't want to overreact on a Monday. Um, this week will tell us a lot. I believe we're going to learn a lot about this offensive line tomorrow, and I think we'll learn a lot about the offensive line on Wednesday. So I look forward to coming back and talking about what I saw because they can go out there and if the they're going up against the Patriots and all of a sudden Leatherwood is you know stonewalling guys and pancaking them then it's like oh hold on you know he's got something going here if he doesn't and the Patriots are you know getting by him like you saw Max Crosby getting by him uh, throughout the course of training camp then you really realize that you have a problem but I'll tell you one thing I do know GM Dave Ziegler will be all over it He's going to be all over practice. He'll be paying attention to everyone out there performing, putting on uh, whatever job that they're supposed to be doing, if they're doing it to the best of their ability or not. He'll be all over that. That's the one thing I can guarantee. So, uh, again, I do believe he has a plan. I think it would be foolish if they didn't, you know, and I I don't take them as foolish people. I just don't. I mean, you know, call me dumb, but I just don't think that they're in this position if they're foolish. So, I think they realized probably a long time ago where the biggest issue could lie and realized that it's the offensive line. And so, there's a plan. There's a plan in place. I just don't know what it is. So, that's again, that's why we're talking about it.
3: Yeah, we don't know what that plan's going to be. But I wouldn't be surprised where people are just saying banging the drum, some people are, for Daryl Williams. And I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, if they bring in Daryl Williams, they'd be like, hey, they knew what they were going to do all along. Or if they do make a trade where we don't know yet, but we mm-hmm. just want it to happen immediately.
1: I just wonder with the Daryl Williams type situation, and I asked Sam about this, you know, he's still out there. You know what nobody knows and, and Ed said it as well, you know, kind of waiting and waiting and waiting is, is risky. What if someone decides I don't know what hell, what if Kansas City says, you know what, let me go out and get Daryl Williams or this other team, go get Daryl Williams. whoever needs offensive linemen, every team needs offensive linemen. What if the Chargers decide to go make a move? I mean, it just it just seems like they're waiting longer than I would expect them to wait. But again, That goes back to the plan that they have in place that we don't know what it is. We're just kind of watching it all develop. One quick text from Raider Angel. Uh, Hey, Q, just tuned into the show. Did you already talk about the Raiders' plan to release Drake? Does this mean Brandon Bolden makes the team? Uh, Yes. Uh, got that news around well, about one thirty that uh, uh, that Kenyon Drake was on the outside looking in, was going to be released. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. I think the Raiders tried to trade him, and nobody was going to trade for that salary. So he's going to get released. He'll probably get picked up pretty quickly because he's still a talented dude just at that, uh, at that rate of pay and uh, also the depth that they have at that running back room. Uh, it's no surprise that he's on the outside looking in. I do believe Brandon Bolden's made the team. The guy hasn't hasn't played at all. We haven't seen him yet in any preseason game. I think that bodes pretty well for him. Amir Abdullah, same thing. You know, we haven't seen him. We, he didn't even make the trip to Miami for uh, for the game on Saturday. So, let you know that they feel pretty comfortable with those guys. Brandon Bolden and uh, Amir Abdullah. It looks like it's going to be the Josh Jacobs-Zamir White show, which I'm all for. Love to see that. Brandon Bolden, change of pace. Amir Abdullah, change of pace. I'll be all good with that. Jacob Johnson, the fullback. There it is right there. Britton Brown, maybe he's a guy that's in the practice squad. Maybe he's on the outside looking in. 3.28 the time we come back. We'll be talking to Mike DeBate, host of Locked On Pass. We'll talk all things Patriots. they there in town right now. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.
0: You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio.
1: Jason to Maryland hit us up. Y'all need to pump the brakes on Lester Cotton, though. One bad preseason game doesn't erase all the good things he's done this far. I understand being concerned with Leatherwood. Talk about overreaction Monday. Thank you, Jason, for that text. And I agree. Lester Cotton's done some really good things. He just struggled on Saturday. So I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. It it was a struggle. And when both guys on the right side struggle, that's when it's really obvious so that's really why the the conversation is there but thank you so much for that text i do appreciate you joining us now on the phone lines from locked on patriots is our good friend mike debate and mike we appreciate you as always my man the patriots they're in town right now uh they're already at the practice facility they've gone through it already bill belichick talked about how much he likes the facility and all um what do you think that and you know this very well because the patriots went through it with the panthers last week but how much do you think the patriots get out of this week coming up with the raiders with the joint practices
4: I think this has the potential to be a really good learning experience, particularly for Mac Jones Q. Look, bottom line, there's no one that knows his capabilities in the Patriots offense better than the Raiders head coach right now, Josh McDaniels. He helped cultivate what Mac became last year, and although there's still a lot of growing to do, there's still a lot of Mac coming into his own, and he hasn't completely blossomed into the quarterback that I think he will be eventually. Uh, Josh is someone that knows how to bring the pressure. He knows what Max's capabilities are, his weaknesses, and his strengths. And one of the things he struggled with last year was blitzes from the second and third level of the defense. I think the Raiders will throw a little bit of that at him. I think they're going to want to see what he can do this is an opportunity for uh for um Mac Jones to really see what a Josh McDaniels led offense and defense really kind of giving uh you know some uh some defense uh you know in terms of um just you know a little bit of prowess and a little bit of knowledge there uh this could be a really good learning opportunity but I think because the two coaching staffs know each other so well uh there's going to be a lot to learn on both sides of the ball.
1: Do you think that the Patriots I don't want to say bit off more than they could chew, but do, do, you, do you think that maybe they didn't realize how, how difficult it would be to replace Josh McDaniels and Coach Brasillo and, 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 and Mick Lombardi uh, as it has been so far?
4: I don't necessarily know if it's biting off more than they could chew. I think Josh had the opportunity to be able to, you know, take the the job that he had essentially been waiting for. And I think that's really what it came down to. It wasn't a situation where I think the Patriots allowed Josh to leave as much as this was the the job that Josh was waiting for. So at that point, filling the position that he left, I mean, you could make the argument that maybe they should have hired a a dedicated offensive coordinator or at least someone with a little more offensive play-calling experience on that side of the ball. But bottom line, uh, I I think that, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to plan for a, uh, um, a coach leaving is a very, very difficult thing to do. They had a plan in place, but At this point, I think they're trying to do the best they can to backfill that. You're not going to replace a guy like Josh McDaniels overnight, not after all the contributions he's made to this team throughout the years.
1: No, that makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, how has Matt Patricia been so far, you know, calling those plays? I know Joe Judge was in the conversation, but at least from what it looked like from a distance from the last game, uh, that was Matt Patricia kind of being the offensive line coach and the play caller at the same time.
4: Yeah, I mean, Matt Patricia right now is trending in that direction. He called the entire play calling gamut the other night against the Panthers. Uh, he and Joe Judge split the duties a little bit in the preseason game one against the Giants. But, look, bottom line, the uh, the Patriots seem comfortable with giving Matt that opportunity. Uh, Matt Jones praised him earlier this week and probably will continue to, to do so this week, saying that he's really getting the hang of it. He's starting to become a little more comfortable in that regard. And, look, there is, you know, there are precedents uh, you know set for that as a former defensive coordinator he knows exactly what opposing uh, you know offenses or opposing defenses are going to be looking for and by being able to call a game in that fashion gives him a unique perspective now how will that work throughout the season Typically, the Patriots' play calling has gone through either a quarterback's coach or the offensive coordinator. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, the Patriots' offensive line is one that runs a system cue that is very predicated on talking to their coach quite often throughout the game. If Matt is calling plays, that may make the communication a little bit different. So that could be a challenge for the New England Patriots. But in terms of the play calling, Patricia seems to be uh, you know, gaining more confidence and ultimately, the buck stops at Bill Belichick's desk.
1: Talking right now with Mike Debate, host of Locked On Patriots here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio, Radio nine twenty. I keep hearing this about this new look Patriots offense, and that you know this scheme is a little bit more simplistic, easier to pick up. Are you starting to see these guys pick it up a little bit more? Even though you know it's it's been a little slow out of the gates, but you see the the progress, and you see you know you see some light at the end of the tunnel when it when it comes to these guys understanding what they're supposed to be doing.
4: Yeah, I think there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel, but there's going to be growing pains, and you can see that right now. The Patriots have not—it's not a foreign concept that they're running the zone read. I think in a lot of ways, people are looking at this and saying, this is brand new, they've never done it before— the zone run has been a part of the Patriots' offensive game plan back to the days of Dante Scarnekia. The reason they didn't run it all that often in New England is because it really didn't suit Tom Brady's game plan all that well, and his <laughs> skill set. Um, so the Patriots tried to shy away from it. The past couple of seasons, we've started to see it incorporated a little bit, but this is a system that Mac Jones ran effectively in Alabama. So I think in that regard... The New England Patriots felt that this may be the best time to implement it. Now, when you do it with a brand-new offensive coaching staff, you're going to get more growing pains than you normally would elsewise. So that may be one of the reasons for some of the fan base being squeamish on this. But Patriots are starting to show some prowess, and if they still have a ways to go, ultimately they're going to need better play from their offensive line in order for this system to be effective because what we've seen so far is a line that has struggled with athleticism and moving horizontally. That's predicated on this type of Shanahanian, McVeighian type (laughs) of offense that you're seeing. Uh, If they can get the, uh, the offensive line to move a little bit more fluid, then the Patriots should be all six. They have the personnel to do it.
3: All right, and you mentioned those growing pains. How bad or has the offense looked in camp? Because with the reports, no, not that. No, it's the reports. We've all right. seen those reports yeah, yeah. where people were making it sound like they can't even snap the ball. Are those reports overblown, or is there some truth to that? Uh,
4: well, I mean, there have been times where the Patriots' offenses looked rough. I'm not going to sit there and say it's all been sunshine and rainbows. There have been times <laughs> where you'll shake your head a little bit. But overall, I think the reports have been a little bit overblown. From what I've seen from this team, uh, they do have the ability to adapt. They've run more good plays than a lot of the national narrative would have you believe. That being said... Again, a lot of this is going to be determined by a couple of factors, most importantly, the offensive line, like I just mentioned, but also getting the the input and the buy-in from the running backs. Because if there's one thing that you've noticed from that type of Shanahan offense or even the McVay offense from last year, it's predicated on guys being able to hit the hole and run through the hole the minute it's set by the offensive line. They've got the running backs to do it. Damian Harris is adept at it. I think Ramondre Stevenson can settle into that role. Ty Montgomery has been a really nice surprise for this team uh, in terms of maybe giving you a little bit on the third down back situation, especially with James White's retirement. But all in all, uh, it's, There's going to be ups and downs, without any question. I guess that's me being as diplomatic as I can be at this point. (laughs) Um, It's not great, but it's definitely not as bad as some people are making it out to be.
3: And you mentioned how important this offensive line is going to be for the Patriots. So what have they seen from Isaiah Wynn that maybe he's on the trading block a little bit, or they may be trading him and getting rid of him?
4: Well, one of the things about Win that people have to remember is there's been injury history there. And unfortunately, the Patriots need a right tackle or an offensive line, really, that is able to stay healthy and stay on the field. One of the big parts of learning a new offense is cohesion and learning that camaraderie that comes with being an offensive line and being together. If you're constantly moving parts around, it can be very difficult to do that. So Yandi Just has been their uh, best swing reserve uh, tackle so far. He's played well. I think he could step into the role if they need him to. Uh, Michael Wainu has also played some right tackle as well, so he could be an option if they decide to trade um, Isaiah Wynn. One of the big factors in this is that the Patriots stand to inherit about $9.7 million in cap space if they move him by a trade. So they may be mo- uh, motivated to do that, but ultimately, are you cutting your nose to spite your face and bringing someone else in, or handing the keys over to someone that might not be as talented as Isaiah, that's the fine line that the Patriots have to run because when he's healthy, he's a very effective tackle. I'd like to see him get a little bit more of that pushback that we saw in the second year that he had here in New England when he was very effective in doing so. He's not that strike-first lineman that we uh, have seen before. I don't know if maybe that's from difficulty with uh, his uh, health or whatever, but if he can get back to form, Uh, he's still their most effective option. So the Patriots are going to have to have all the stars aligned to move him. Not impossible, but... The more I'm thinking about it, and the more I'm looking at it, I don't think it's likely that he's moved by the uh, by uh, the the first of uh, of the month and the beginning
1: of the season. It's funny, Mike. We started out the show talking about Isaiah Wynn. we saw the you know report earlier that uh, they're taking calls on him, and I thought, man, if he's here in Las Vegas, maybe the Raiders say, "Hey, why don't you just go ahead and stay? <laughs> just go." <laughs> yeah, ahead and I mean, stay.
4: <laughs> honestly, there is there's a need there, and they're definitely all of the all of the pieces are in place right now for something like that to happen. So if he is moved. And again, I'm not saying it's impossible that he will be. Right. Uh, you have to think the Raiders are right in the mix.
1: I would think so as well. But that when you started talking about the injury history and, and injury prone, that that started making me think about Trent Brown. And I think every Raider fan uh, that uh, <laughs> the, the, you know that is listening thinks of Trent Brown, and they just kind of get that queasy feeling. What is going on with with Big Trent anyway? I haven't even caught up with what's the latest with him.
4: Trent has actually been a model citizen right now in Patriots' land. Of uh, he, he has. To
1: be very happy to be a
4: part of uh, the <laughs> team, and uh, he's really I think uh, found his home back at home uh, at uh, left tackle for the New England Patriots. Uh, that line is much more stabilized and much more anchored uh, when you have a guy of his size protecting Mac Jones's blind side. Uh, had the night off against the, uh, the Panthers, or raised a couple of eyebrows until cooler heads prevailed and people found out that it was a scheduled night off for Trent. He's going to have those. You have to put up with those if you're a Patriots fan, but his presence on that line is definitely a stabilizing force. And I know it's a tough subject for Raiders for to but uh, it definitely is uh, you know, to the Patriots' benefit that he's a part of that line.
1: Mike, he's blocked me on Twitter. All right. You know that's you know that's the ultimate that's the ultimate, you know, middle fingers in the air, blazing like Tupac. When you when you block a guy on Twitter, you know it's serious. And he's blocked me on Twitter. So I guess me and Trent Brown, we're not on the same page. Again, we're talking with Mike Debate, host of Locked On Patriots, here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty, my man demon has got one for you.
3: I just want to add that me and the greatest underdog are still cool. He hasn't blocked me on Twitter. You know, I I'll respect the greatest I'll keep dogs. on talking. He will. <laughs> All right, Mike, but you know with these joint practices, it's always, it's always good that coaches get to see the ones go against another team's number ones. But when it comes to the number one corner for the Patriots, who is that going to be now that J.C. Jackson is gone?
4: Uh, right now I would say Jalen Mills. And uh, I know that's going to surprise a lot of people on the national scene, but watching him from the time he's come in in minicamp, and watching him through the progressions through training camp and through the first two games well the game against the Panthers he didn't take any snaps against the Giants uh, Jalen has come in uh, with a newfound purpose uh, he's going after the ball a little bit better he's tracking the ball better through the air uh, he really has studied the playbook in the offseason and this is something that I think maybe caused him a little bit of difficulty last year because he had to play so many different roles Jalen was originally brought in to be someone that could fill in either on the perimeter or in the slot He ended up getting the second uh, job next to J.C. Jackson after Stephon Gilmore was traded. So in a lot of ways, I think this year, knowing that J.C. was gone, I think Bill Belichick probably or the Patriots defensive coaching staff must have looked at Jalen and said, look, you're going to get a chance to compete for notable minutes out there. And he took that challenge and he ran with it. So he'll get the job on the first uh, perimeter spot. The second perimeter spot is going to raise some eyebrows. Jonathan Jones has been one of the better slot corners Mm. in the league. He's been aligning on the perimeter for much of training camp and even did so the other night against the Panthers. That's going to continue because the speedy receivers that the Patriots are going to be seeing, you guys have one on staff, one of the more complete, one of the most complete receivers in the game in Devontae Adams. He's going to find these guys, um, you know, and be able to hang with them speed for speed. So that's going to be the Patriots one-two punch on the perimeter. And then in the slot, you'll probably see Miles Bryant and the rookie Marcus Jones take some snaps there as well. He's been very impressive so far.
1: I did see the young man, Sean Wade, have a nice little interception the other night. Uh, that was a pretty impressive play. Uh, the young man out of Ohio State. Uh, so there there you go. That's a little depth right there to, to add to the mix. And uh, Mike, before we get out of here, man, final question for you is about the offensive playmakers. We know Nelly very well, obviously. Uh, he was a free agent that the the Raiders let walk, and he ends up signing with the Patriots. He's a guy that can make some big plays. But my guy. Taekwon Thornton he was making some noise I was so proud of him and he gets injured the other night he's gonna be out about eight weeks what did uh, what did Taekwon look like in training camp
4: Yeah, your heart really goes out to the kid, and I really and truly do. Taekwon is one of those players that really came in and exceeded a lot of expectations. I really fell in love with this kid's uh, ability to not only fly down the field, but also his ability to track the ball and his route running was very crisp for a rookie, something that you typically do not see from someone that is that fast. It takes them a little while to be able to slow down, learn the pro game, maintain that speed, but also be able to hit your spot. Taekwon was doing a very good job of that, and he was going up and making contested catches, so it's definitely a setback for him. Um, It's an injury that he will recover from. Uh, He'll recover fully, and he'll be out for a little while, but the future is bright with Taekwon Thornton. I definitely encourage Patriots fans to be patient uh, with his uh, recovery and his rehabilitation, but once he's out there, Patriots fans are going to be really happy with this pick. From what I saw in training camp, Uh, The kid can definitely play, and he's ready to play at a pro level. I would like to see him put on a little bit of bulk to be able to (laughs) handle some of the hits he's going to take in New England uh, or anywhere uh, in the NFL for that matter, but uh, um, definitely something that uh, Patriots fans can hang their hat on. they got a good one here.
1: Yeah, that's what I've been saying that about him for years, going back to Baylor, man. He's just a little thin, needs to gain a little bit of weight, a little bit of muscle, and uh, he'll be able to take a few more of those hits. But uh, I think that they do have a special player in Taekwondo, so hopefully he'll recover sooner rather than later and be back out there and playing. So, Mike, great stuff, man. Fantastic breakdowns as always. What do you got coming out on the Locked On Patriots that we should be on the lookout for?
4: Well, joint practice previews on Tuesday and on Wednesday, and uh, we got a little uh, uh, financial preview with the Pats Cap himself coming up this week. A lot of interesting stuff, so definitely keep it uh, tuned to Locked On Patriots. Uh, and for all the Raiders fans out there, if you want a little behind enemy lines, uh, we're definitely going to be covering some good stuff for you. So uh, check us out wherever you get your podcasts, including smashing that subscribe button on YouTube.
1: There you go, and I saw that you had a little piece out on Isaiah Wynn, too. So if, they, uh, if Raider fans want to go and get a little bit of background on Isaiah Wynn, They could do it as well. Check out your Twitter page at MDebateNFL. Mike, thanks so much for your time, my man. I definitely appreciate you.
4: Anytime, gentlemen. Always my honor, always my pleasure. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll definitely talk soon.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There he goes. Mike DeBate, host of Locked On Patriots, again on Twitter at MDebateNFL. That's M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You want to get a little bit behind the scenes and a little uh, update on one Isaiah win. And I will say... The injury prone thing kind of makes me a little nervous, you know. I'm just saying.
3: Only missed one game last year, though.
1: Right, but he's banged up, and you know, it's just it's one of those things. You just kind of get a little nervous when you start hearing about injury prone guys. But good stuff right there from Mike. 3:47 is the time. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Close out hour number two. Sraider Nation Radio 9:20. You'll see good, bad, and the ugly like an old Clint Eastwood movie. Um, they're improving. They're they're working on their craft. Uh, I think. Position, especially a tackle, as challenging it is in this league. Um, it's it's got to be constant improvement. We can't ever get satisfied.
0: Now back to unnecessary roughness with your boy Q.
1: How about this little nugget from our good friend Mick Akers from the RJ? Joins the show quite a bit. The Raiders value has jumped from 1.4 billion in 2015, 31st to 32 teams to $5.1 billion, number nine this year, due to their relocation in Las Vegas and the construction of Allegiant Stadium. Forbes put out a list of uh, most valuable teams, sporting teams. The Raiders are now worth $5.1 billion. Again, good enough to be the ninth most valuable franchise in the NFL, according to Forbes. A 49% jump from last year. Raider Nation, can you imagine if you have a home, and one year later, your house is worth one thing in 2021, one year later, it is worth 49% more. Could you imagine that? how big of a jump that is? That is massive. Wow. They are now worth $5.1 billion. And I would say I think the move to Vegas worked out just fine. Not trying to rub any salt in anyone's, uh, anyone's wounds or anything because, man, I was one of the last guys that was even on board with the Raiders moving to Vegas. But, man, it has definitely worked out in a major way, getting the awesome facility, getting the amazing stadium, being in Las Vegas, being a, a, a bigger fish in a small pond. I mean, just everything really worked out really well for the Raiders. Matter of fact, speaking of awesome facilities, we got that sound from Bill Belichick, who the uh, the Patriots are already in town. They've been in town, uh, and they practiced today, and they were at the facility. And so Bill Belichick, and we're going to get an opportunity, hopefully. Uh, we found out the time that he's going to be talking to the media tomorrow, so I'd love to sit in on a Bill Belichick press conference too. So I'm going to get to the facility Early in the morning. I'm going to try to get up there earlier than Ed Graney. And I know Ed Granny's going to be there super early. Like Willie Ramirez, I know he's the guy that gets there usually super early. I'm going to try to get in there before the morning tailgate does. They're going to be broadcasting at 7. I'm about to come rolling in around 6.30. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Put it in my
3: veins. I'm saying, What time is the first person speaking, whoever it is? Um,
1: Do you know? I believe Derek Carr is talking after practice. So Josh McDaniels doesn't talk to Wednesday. Okay. So, you know, but Bill Belichick, I think is talking around eight something tomorrow morning. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'll figure it out.
3: Okay. But so I'm just saying, is there any benefit for you being the first person in the door?
1: Yeah. To make sure I don't miss it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's the best benefit. You said, st- Hey man, yeah, I don't care if you if you're early, you're early. If you're late, you're late. You can't get that back. But I just mean like I can you, look. You, I can sit be, there. Sounds like you want to camp out. Oh, I just want to make sure I'm there. I don't want. I don't want. You know, hey, I don't want to plan on being there at eight, and all of a sudden he decides to go at seven forty five. I mean, you never know. You get there early, you're good. You get there late, you're sol. Right now, what they say, you're sol. You got to be there
3: late. That's, that's the that's the dumbest question you've ever asked me. I'm always early. It's not no, there's a difference between there's a healthy early. Sounds like if you get there at seven, you're fine. If I get there at six thirty, I'm fine. Like, man. You hey, just keep on pushing it up a I little don't bit. Mind, but I don't mind.
1: It doesn't make any difference to me. I'm good. I can sit there while he's not there and work anyway. I can do my work somewhere else. I'm good with that. What time do they open the doors? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I've been there because I've set the morning tailgate up before. So I've been there as early as like 6.30. I have been there at 6.30 before, and I didn't do anything but go and set up some equipment for Vinny and, uh, and Heidi. So there's that. I don't even think I got a tip that day. <laughs> <laughs> they should have gave me a tip like the doorman, right? Thank you, Q, for setting us up. I gotta have to, I'm going to have to ask them about that tomorrow. You might get your own set of keys. <laughs> Doubt it. But uh here's Bill Belichick from earlier today talking about the Raiders facility and just how impressed he is with the overall look of it, the feel of it, and everything that they have going on there. When
5: you look around facilities like this, and, and, and then no, you oh, this ma- Man, this is magnificent. Been a lot of good facilities. There have been some amazing college facilities, but I don't put this up against any of them. This is let me forget about the amenities. It's just the fields, the weight room, the offices, the indoor facility, the proximity, the ease of everything. Um, yeah, this is this is as good as any I've seen. Better than any I've seen. Not as good It's better than anything I've seen. So it's 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 outstanding. It's great. it's great for us to be able to work here. It's you know ideal working conditions. So we'll walk right in off the field, lift. You know, good refueled and hydrate, and all their, you know, their, uh, they got stations right there in the weight room. Uh, it's, it's set up good. We're only, you know, mile away, whatever it is. So it's an easy transition from getting dressed, getting taped, getting ready to go. Come over here, get off the bus, get ready to practice. So that's great. You
1: see the Raiders. He almost smiled. I feel like he almost smiled. <laughs> he almost enjoyed talking about that. It's so funny. I, I mean, I watch that that little presser, that little minute or whatever, and I just look at Bill Belichick, and it's like he's fighting. He's fighting himself not to smile. Like he doesn't want to smile. I can't do it. I got to keep my persona.
3: You could you could leave when the headline could be. Bill Belichick gushes over the Raiders facility. But for someone who doesn't know him or know football, they say that? that's his excited voice? Yes, it was. <laughs>
1: that was an excited voice from one Bill Belichick. Let's take one quick call before we close out the hour. 702-365-9200. Who we got, Rob in San Jose? Robert in San Jose. Robert, welcome to the show.
5: Uh, thanks for taking my call, guys. Uh, my questions in regards to the offensive line, I, I just tuned in. Uh, outside of Colt Miller at left tackle, and it seems like Andre James at center. Uh, how much of these practices, how much these practices against the Patriots in terms of Lester Cotton, John Simpson, and uh, Alex Leatherwood, mean in terms of who's going to start uh, against the Chargers and who you think will join Miller and James in the starting five?
1: Great call, my man. Great call. And yeah, I think that these practices, I think they mean a lot to those guys. I I would say that they mean a lot to Andre James too. I think he's got to be able to hold his own. I mean, honestly, we can look at Colton Miller and say, done. Left tackle. Good. Everyone else, you kind of look at and say, there's a question mark. I'm with you. I think Andre James has got that center position, but Dylan Parham, he could be fighting for the left guard spot. He could be fighting for the right guard spot. Hell, he could fight for the center spot. so he, he, he's in that position. Jermaine Illuminor, I believe he's part of this process as well. I think he's competing with Alex Leatherwood for that right tackle spot. And then on top of that, the, the other third kind of, I don't know, I guess um, element to this, Alex Leatherwood might be actually competing for the right guard spot, right? I mean, he might end up getting kicked inside to, to guard like he was last year. So, yeah, I think these, these uh, practices are going to be massive. They're going to be major when it comes to who is playing where. What we know Colton Miller. What we don't know, everything else. 3.56 is the time. We'll come back, kick off hour number three. We'll be talking with Matt Lombardo from Heavy On Sports. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.